I think that's very much like a part of feeling into your body and feeling good is about feeling the context around you that supports that pleasurable experience. And that's what I think kind of enters stripping where it's like these environments, like with their flaws, of course, because that's why strip clubs, we need to do a lot of work. But what we're doing is we're reclaiming space in which we can feel pleasure. And that in itself is like what I find empowering. Hey there, this is Pussy Empowered Podcast and I'm your host, Alyssa Aparicio. I'm equal parts Bronx bitch and mountain witch. I believe that when you untame your pussy, you access your power. As a pussy empowerment coach, I teach women how to do this with a holistic approach that incorporates mind, body, emotion, and spirit. As a sacred erotic creatrix, I surrender to new heights of embodied, expressed art, and performance myself. On this podcast, I share about my approach to pussy power and interview fellow paradigm-shifting badasses about theirs. What you're about to hear is part of a seven-conversation series on demystifying stripping and decolonizing sexual empowerment. Today, we're going to chat with Josie, a stripper, online cam worker, performance artist, and board member of Strippers United. Listen as Josie shares some powerful wisdom on the strip club as a space of practicing autonomy and reclamation for individuals in marginalized communities, the real-life problems impacting real-life strippers today, and a shared reflection on our personal experiences attending Catholic school, plus so much more. Listen up. Hi. (sighs) Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that you're here and this is our first verbal conversation together, which I find (laughs) interesting, but I'm glad that you're here. How are you today? I'm good. Um, It's such a gorgeous day outside. I had a really good time tending to my garden before I I hopped on here. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you got some outside time and (sighs) some vitamin D and all that good stuff. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you good. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. So I'm going to just introduce you first off before we dive into the conversation here. So Josie is a stripper, a online, an online cam girl, a performance artist, and also a board member of Soldiers of Pole, which is, uh, we'll get more into what that is and all of the powerful effects that that um, union has created for strippers. But um, that does. Did I miss anything? Is there anything else you want to say about about who you are? Yeah, and what, you're, what you're about. We recently uh, changed our name to Strippers United, which is a really exciting thing, and we can go into that. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that more. Um, but first, I just kind of want to ask you um, about your experience in in sex work and what that how you arrived there and what you know what led you to this path and yeah, if you could just start there and, and yeah, definitely. Um, so I started doing cam work before knowing the term sex work, um, when I was 18 and I'm 23 now. And it was something that I just like thought was super accessible in terms of like being a college student and having no money, but like not being able to work a job. 
um, at least like in the limitations at the time. And I did, yeah, I've been doing that for a while, like longer than I have stripping. But when I found stripping, it was really through my love for dance and my love for movement and expression. And I was a performance artist already. And I really valued um, just having like an audience and having that effect to create like joy and pleasure and to experience that while I perform. And it was a friend of mine who saw me on the dance floor at an ecstatic dance. And she just saw the way I moved and was like, I think you'd be really good at dancing at stripping. And I was like, oh, well, I'm kind of in a money crunch. And I decided to try it out. I started dancing in Reno, Nevada. Um, and yeah, actually, now that I, I dance in California, um, there's a huge difference between dancing in like Reno and Vegas and California. And so, um, yeah. And I, I got into it in the sense that it felt like it was like the next step, um, from doing online work. Like it just felt like that was like the element I wanted was like more in-person connection and more of a community in terms of like working with other people who dance and do that kind of work. Um, because the online world is very isolating because they don't make it easy for you to connect with um, other creators and content creators and um, models and stuff. And yeah, and so it was kind of like I just threw myself in there and it was it was a challenge at first, but I feel like because I did have a dance background, um, I felt confident in that element already. Um, whereas I can't imagine not having that dance background and just being kind of thrown in the mix. Um, and yeah, and also like being able to speak Spanish was also great because I could have another um, client, like clients, like who maybe other clients can't communicate with, like I was able to communicate with them. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I arrived at it at a very like, um, difficult time in my life where I was kind of housing insecure and um, I didn't have like a stable place. And so I would just stay at a hotel and work and then like kind of go back and forth between um, a small mountain town I was living in in Reno. So yeah, that's a little bit how I got started. Thank you for sharing all of that. And um but you mentioned that you speak Spanish. I was just interested if you would share about your background and um, yeah, that's something so, that we're gonna talk about more. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, oh, sorry, something popped up. Okay, there we go. So uh, I, I actually, I think this is gonna really be a huge piece of like what decolonization means to me is because. My mom is an immigrant from Guatemala and a refugee, like an asylum seeker, basically. Um, and she actually just got citizenship after 23 years of being here, um, which is such a privilege in of itself. Um, but for most of my life, up until like a couple months ago, that was like an uncertainty. And so um, I think assimilation made it so that my mom felt like 
it would be better for me or I wouldn't be so much like an outcast if I didn't learn Spanish like as my first language. I mean, I did until I was like five. And then going to school, like there was this like embarrassment of my mom talking to me in Spanish that was kind of like imposed on me, especially from my white side of my family and just like the racism from my white side of my family towards my mom created this kind of dichotomy where it was like whiteness was definitely centered. Um, but now that I was able to live in Ecuador and I did visit Guatemala when I was little and all my family still lives there and I still talk to them and some my family came over here, but it actually made it so that I wanted to prioritize that in my adult life is like learning a second language. Um, and my mom and I do talk together in Spanish, but it wasn't like my brother and dad who are both like white passing didn't really want that in the household as much as I did. So it's kind of a weird way that I've experienced like assimilation culture of like trying to suppress our roots so that we can be accepted and that we can um, face less discrimination if we like position ourselves closer to whiteness, if that makes sense. Mm, totally makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. can... Um, I can just see how that played out in, uh, so my grandparents were immigrants and my parents had the same, um, the same experience around language when they were growing up. It was very much like we speak English in the house, but then it came to my generation and my grandparents were adamant that I learned Spanish and they wanted me to connect to that. And then it was a interesting place to navigate, like, um, you know, feeling this distance from my identity and feeling in between worlds. Um, so I know as the child of an immigrant, that's like a different direct, a different um, experience relationship. But I totally hear where you're coming from around like finding yourself in a world that is centering uh, the white experience and yeah, um, where we are in that. Um, but to so so we're, when you were growing up because I know that we're going to talk about also about religion and that impact um, that has had in your relationship with sexuality were you raised in were your parents very Catholic or was your family yeah so um, my mom was raised Catholic I believe or she was she, I think at some point she like lived with the nuns. <laughs> mm. Like she, that's how she like, yeah. when she came to the U.S., like she lived with the nuns because, I mean, there was nowhere else really for her to go and she felt safe there. Like she felt like they could offer her some sort of protection, um, which is kind of ironic in some ways. But I mean, anywho, so, um, and my dad was not not really raised Christian, but just became Christian, I guess, in his adulthood. And then when they met, uh, she kind of adopted um, into Christianity. And mm -hmm. so even though I went to Catholic school, like there was there wasn't really like Catholicism in my family. In fact, they like would kind of condition me to be like Catholicism is the wrong is the wrong way compared to like a uh, born again or like, uh, I guess like 
I don't know, just what Christianity is today. Um, and it was kind of interesting, but yeah, like I think Catholic school actually did the opposite of maybe what my parents wanted it to do, <laughs> where it's like, it made me actually like rebel against, um, hierarchies of like religious power and, um, Um, like the cis hetero like male um, gays and like I think it has a lot to do with um, the kind of education that I got and it just didn't it didn't sit right with me from like a long for a long time and I went to school till I was like 12 um, and so like for example the priest taught sex ed like at our at our school, like they took us to the chapel and had the priest, like <laughs> had the priest, like explain. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's just so wrong. It's so wrong. And we're trying, like, we want to, we want our children to like feel safe in their bodies, but we expose them to um, education systems unintentionally sometimes, of course, um, that harm harm the way that they relate to their sexuality. And I think that colonialism, um, what it did is it used religion as a way to indoctrinate and subvert like um, indigenous peoples as well as like other oppressed peoples like in a global context, but specifically like in the US and Central America, South America, like Catholicism was used as a way to mentally um, like erase their cultural and like traditions that were deviant from their version of purity. So like purity culture and just like that entire notion that our sexuality is only valuable if it's pure according to the standards of religious thinking um so that's like kind of how i broke away from that was like also through sex work and that took a long time i think because there's a lot of shame and um belief systems that start to arise that you're like this isn't mine and this isn't something that i want to keep in my body and i think that is part of like decolonizing our sexuality too mm. yes oh my gosh you said so much, so many powerful things there. I also went to Catholic school for too fucking long. I went from uh, kindergarten through high school, and high school was all girls school. You know, I think it's crazy that priests would teach sex ed. You know, allegedly never had sexual experience teaching young people about their bodies. It's like uh, that is exactly who you don't want teaching you. Uh, about sexuality um, and I have a yeah I can remember like conditioning and I remember um, I had a morality class and it wasn't led by a nun but she was practically a nun she <laughs> taught us she brought out this candle and she goes this is your sexuality like she, she had it on, on a flame right and then she said when you touch yourself <laughs> turning out your own inner flame." When you uh, have sex before marriage, turning out your own plan. And I'm like, what does this kind of messaging do to a young person's brain? I mean, it, it, I mean, 
and I didn't grow up, my family wasn't necessarily practicing Catholicism. And it was a privilege that I got to be in a Catholic school. And they sent me there because of like the education dynamics of the Bronx and the, it just being a better uh, education. And they had the, the privilege and the means to provide that to me. And I am grateful for that. And like mm-hmm. same the way, I mean, we prayed all day and like the way that we just constantly were like putting these subliminal messages around what's sacred and what's profane or not even yeah. subliminal, like outright explicit messages as well. And it's taken a long time <laughs> to deconstruct yeah. that a mm-hmm. long time. And yeah, and I can't yeah. wait to just get how through the body, you know, our body stores so much in, in terms of um trauma in terms of like our ancestral connection you know the womb space being a place of connection to our ancestors and sexuality being literally the means that we got here through our ancestors yeah you know I I have found that it has been through embodiment through embodying my sexuality to through pushing up against those edges that that I find within myself that has been liberating. And it sounds like you've had a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like something I want to say about decolonization is that there's um, an article called decolonization is not a metaphor that I always try to refer to when I talk about decolonization and even think about it is that our connection to the land and indigenous people's connection to the land, including black folks, because they are indigenous, of course. And that is very, very tangibly um, connected to like liberation and how that process will look like is really like actual physical land that people can reside and create those connections to the land with. So like decolonization ultimately is about returning land to historically oppressed peoples um, and so I just want to like mention that because what colonization did is what it like, it turned land into a commodity and that also in turn basically created a context for which sexuality was um, simultaneously exploited and simultaneously subverted um, and suppressed. And so it's kind of very complex, but I think that the reason why colonization uh, succeeded in um, the way that it did is because our connection to sexuality isn't just like sex, but it's also that energy of like pleasure and abundance and connection and creativity and like having relationship with um, all of our parts of ourselves and also relationships with our our neighbors and our um, our just community and land is a huge part of that. If we don't have land to commune on or we don't feel connected to our bodies because we don't have land to feel that connection. Like, I think that's very much like a part of feeling into your body and feeling good is about feeling the context around you that supports that pleasurable experience. And that's what I think kind of enters stripping where it's like, these environments, like, with their flaws, of course, because that's why strip clubs, we need to do a lot of work. But what we're doing is we're reclaiming space in which we can feel pleasure. And that in itself is, like, what I find empowering. Mm. 
Wow. I love that this connection and bringing land into it. Like I hadn't thought about it in that way. So that's really illuminating and um, having a space, you know, sacred space, not necessarily in a religious way, but in like a, a, a space that's safe, uh, safer than, than I think, I felt safer as a woman in the strip club than I feel walking down a busy street. You know, there are people looking out for, for the most part, there is security in a strip club setting. There's um, the boundaries. Other, I mean, other, other dancers, like I, other dancers. yeah, I think, yeah, other dancers, like for sure. I feel like we have to, I don't know. We kind of have to collaborate in that way uh, to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, it brings me into like the line of thought around the feeling of a disconnection from, from the land once your family has migrated, immigrated and come and went to a different place where you're now having to conform to these ideals, um, Puritan ideals specifically but your relation, like, and I'm, I'm saying your, but I'm speaking about mine, and maybe you resonate, like, my relationship to my body doesn't fit into the, um, the ideals that are presented, you know, the puritanical ideals, and it's, like, almost like a deeper knowing, a deeper connection to something else, but, mm -hmm. but stepping into that in, um, and, you know, just being told not to move your body in a particular way, not to dress yourself in a particular way when your own ancestors use that as celebration uh, as like fertility ritual and as um, nature, just like celebrating their, yeah. their part in nature and then navigating that. Um, yeah. I'm just speaking out loud here. So <laughs> yeah, I that being such a mind fuck. Yeah, I agree. And it's very complex. And there's like so many layers to it as, um, as like, my ancestors are not indigenous to the land I reside on, like as a settler, like, I have to be responsible in the way that I um, show up. And I think a huge part of that is like, giving labor and effort to the indigenous peoples like of the place that you're living like for example like where I am like I'm on the territory of the Hotchman tribe and they I volunteered to help like basically had to collect a whole bunch of um historical documentation that basically proved to the settler colonial state that is the U.S. like that they've been here which is just that in itself is just so um so like clear and evident that like settler colonialism and the idea of like nativeness is like a huge issue right because like the settler basically poses themselves as the native I don't know if you know this like term called nativity but it's basically like instead of the indigenous peoples being like the um face or like the association of what it is to be American it's like the settler has now taken that place of uh, being like the, 
Americans or like the peoples of the US. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, so, no, but yes, I understand no, like, the concept, yeah, but like, not, fuck it. Okay. Yeah, it's not an ideology that I align with, but yeah, of course. it's the reality we like live in is that the settler state creates these obstacles for um, indigenous peoples to connect to land. And I think that like with dancing and stripping, like I've met a lot of indigenous dancers who have expressed that same um I guess, like sentiment that it's actually empowered them in the sense that they're taking money in this, I feel too, like they're taking money from uh, settlers in a sense, um, just money from um, like mostly cis het men um, and redistributing that and taking that money and using it like to support themselves and nourish themselves like even though money isn't necessarily the goal in all instances like it's important to acknowledge that like stripping has allowed so many um so many bodies that are uh basically identified as uh deviant or identified as like uh, not pure and actually given them an avenue stripping gives us an avenue to make and create space for ourselves and claim that space as our own and exist in our bodies and practice autonomy and like our autonomy is what actually like allows us to express our sexuality and our sexuality is an autonomous choice and an autonomous expression and I think that's like a really like beautiful part of dancing and entertaining. Mm. That's so powerful. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, so just, yeah, it makes me think of how um, capitalism plays into the colonization of empowerment like when we look at modalities that try to distance themselves from sex work and claim you know themselves to be as if they were founders of a modality that was originated by sex workers like whole um, specifically and how the narrative then becomes that it's okay to engage with this if you're paying for it, but it's not okay to be paid for it. And, you know, the, the implications of that, that perpetuate that colonizer mentality. Yeah, it does. It does. And I think it's like ingrained in us to um, like, I mean, it's okay that pole dancing exists outside of stripping, but it's not okay that the way it exists, if it's existing in a way that um, doesn't uplift like the original creators and founders and like support them. And like there, there needs to be space that, that credits and acknowledges the hard labor and the, the creativity of black 
sex workers and they invented like the tricks and like these these styles of dancing like the things that i enjoy about dancing like wearing heels and doing pole like i have to thank and give gratitude to black sex workers and like always have to advocate space for them to to like to just exist in safety like we have to continually do that and if like at the very least like don't actively perpetuate like harm towards those people like at the very least um so yeah i think that like colonization um of course like the closer you are to whiteness the more privilege you have and so like white women who do pole like they get all the benefits while black women who do pole work at at a strip club like receive the downsides of that and like that's a very like huge polarity that we need to close by like decolonizing and demystifying and destigmatizing stripping mm, absolutely I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, I so I'm, I'm curious about what in in your um, yeah, from from your perspective, what is an uh, appropriate like way to be an ally in this space? Yeah, that's like, a, that's a huge question. Um, like in the space of decolonizing uh, sexual empowerment or in, uh, yeah, can you clarify that? Yeah, um, I guess so. The ideas that I have are around ensuring education, ensuring advocacy ensuring that there's like an awareness of history and i guess maybe this can take us kind of into the conversation around strippers united as well um like what so what are okay let's talk about what are the the um what are the most pressing issues for sex workers at this moment like so so what well, let's why don't we okay, okay for why, yeah. why don't we talk about first um what does what does um strippers united what is it you want to describe okay. what that yeah. is and then we'll go from there yeah so okay so first we are not a union but we are a labor movement um so we advocate for labor justice and we acknowledge that labor unions have historically been used to um as a means of maintaining or of gaining rights in the workplace so um the so so our main goal right now is to we have a few different projects actually so one of them is how we're actually navigating this online space now that strip clubs are basically closed and then the ones that are open um, are very dangerous in terms of COVID risk and uh, just a lot of them are now underground and unregulated completely. 
So one of the projects that we are launching um, that I'm a part of is our virtual union or V union campaign that we want to create a basically mix up of OnlyFans, um, like I guess how we would use Instagram, uh, Reddit and um, like Tumblr, like kind of just like a mashup of what we like about social media and what we like about campsites um, and what we like about our zoom capacity to do shows so we want to create a space that's like it is a virtual union so it's an opt-in if you want to become part of the union and it's definitely in like the beginning stages so that's one way that we're trying to um work towards our goal of, of facilitating a successful union that is open to people who do work online and who want to entertain um online now that a lot of that entertainment has gone to a space that's uh, virtual and um secondly like there have been campaigns at at strip clubs and their organizers all across the country um and might be a couple internationally like in canada um and there's definitely in europe a huge movement for labor rights in the strip club um and like, obviously, there's a lot of things that are on pause right now with strip clubs having been closed for so long, and some of them might not even open again. And also with, like, actual policy where, um, like, Prop 22, um, there has been, like, certain legislations that do affect strippers and gig workers that we collect information on and try to distribute that information. And most recently, like one of the things that I'm involved in is hosting uh, co-hosting a stripper locker room every month where um, people who dance uh, can um, either they have stripped or strip now or haven't since the clubs, like anything, like if you've stripped, then you're completely welcome and uh, cam models too. Um, we talk a lot about the strip club and, uh, that is just really community building. And I think a huge part of like right now, what Strippers United we are aiming to do is building community because um, that's very important. And uh, because we're such a young collective, um, it's going to take time for us to do that. But those are some of the things that kind of are on the table for Strippers United. And I'm glad that we had our name change because I think it more um, accurately describes like what we do. We're trying to like unite strippers, whether it be a union or other ways that people um, imagine improving their workplace. Um, I think that ultimately dancers, strippers, sex workers know um, what they desire in their workplace. And we're just there to like support and help facilitate that process. Um, and yeah, so those are, that's like a little bit about Strippers United. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing about that. Um, it's, uh, I think important to acknowledge the actual struggle struggles of current, uh, sex workers, because I think it's, um, part of the part of this, why this conversation around, uh, part of why this conversation is being had right now and, and like all that has come up to the surface recently and with this movie that came out, um, 
that you know it's not just it's not just a theory that that it's dangerous to continue per to perpetuate these stigmas. It's like a real life situation that women are actually not only women um, that sex workers of all kinds are actually dealing with in real time this transition to the internet, then the reality that spaces on the internet are just not welcoming, even mm -hmm. when it comes to the legal work of stripping, that, you know, even when it comes to um, just linking out to other places where you do other work, and so that it's not, like, it's not theory, there's actual real lives being affected by this stigma that's currently in place. Of course, um, and it's affecting people's livelihoods because they can't, pay rent and do like the necessities and that's part of why like that's one of the main reasons why we're doing our virtual union is because these sites are taking so much money like so much money like you get a ten dollar tip and you're making like you're it's an automatic two dollars that you're getting like subtracted and oh it's 20 percent of whatever you're making so like it adds up you know what i mean it really does and Considering that, like, you do have to, like, invest in creating good content with, like, cameras and whatever you need. I mean, they shouldn't be taking money at all. You know, like, we shouldn't have to justify why they shouldn't take money from us because, like, they have advertising. And advertising, just like in the strip club, they sell alcohol. They're making bank. Um, you have a, a site that has advertisements for, like, thousands of people who are going on that site. Like, you're going to make money. So there's no reason to take money from sex workers and strippers um that's justifiable or ethical you know so mm. that's like a one of the reasons why i joined uh strippers united formerly sop is because like the house the house fees which are really like very um misleading uh, we're just going up and up and up. Like it used to be $60 to work. Then it went up to 75. Now it's 160. And it just, it's, it's just gonna, it's not gonna get better unless we do something about it. Um, and everyone's capacity is different, of course, um, based on like the privileges you have at your workplace. Um, but hopefully, like, as a united front, we can uh, collaborate and come up with, like, creative ideas for how to improve our work conditions and, and um, like, uh, the taking of our money and uh, fees and mandatory um, tip-outs and things like that. Um, mm. Because it's so stigmatized, like we are not seen as a workforce. Like we're not seen as part of like the labor movement, which um, we are because like we, we do care work. We do um, intensive labor. Like our jobs are so intense in the labor that we do. Like, of course we deserve basic working rights. Like, so that's like a huge thing too, is that we just have to like see that we are part of like a, uh, a working class labor movement because not all strippers are like six figure strippers. I mean, most of, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that's mm -hmm. how I see it. I think that six figure strippers like are, uh, not the majority. <laughs> so yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you for breaking that down for us. And I just want to clarify because I don't think a lot of people know, uh, you know, the general public doesn't really know about house fees, most likely. And what house fees are is that uh, payment that you pay to, to the club um, that is mandatory that you pay just for showing up for them to work there. Um, and, and this was the, you know, it's changed with Prop 22 uh, a little bit, the dynamics of that. But for the most part, it's, uh, and it's a large fee, not just like it can go, well, it can range anywhere from 20 to $100 or plus, you know, depending on what. Um, Sometimes what more. Yeah. Like it's, it's very like, yeah, I think yeah, Prop 22 mm, didn't ha I didn't have as much an effect of, as AB5 did. Um, and it's very, like, a very, it was, <sighs> the implementation of it had very, very, um, uh, how do I say it? Like, had very unfortunate consequences. And um, it didn't, it didn't help us in the ways that I think it could have. Um, and the implementation of it created a lot of uh, leeway for club management to use it in, in a way that didn't, didn't give us, like, that upper hand that it was supposed to. Like, mm. instead of us getting paid our wages, they're basically charging us a higher house fee to pay our own wages, which is mm -hmm. not how it's supposed to be. Um, we're supposed to be making whatever money we made before plus hourly. Like that's right. how it should be. Like whatever money we make, we make plus we get paid hourly because we're showing up for our job. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I hope that like, I hope we can keep like reflecting on this as the clubs are closed and like maybe when we return, we can like, just take a better look at our, what contracts we're signing and just even just being aware of it helps, you know, like even just being aware that like it could improve with advocacy and with like the right intentions of strippers, like uniting and like being like, this is our space. Like let's reclaim it. And like, let's make sure that it doesn't get worse for strippers who come after us. Like, um, like I know just even working in soldiers or in strippers United, like there's strippers in that collective that have been working like longer than I've, well, as maybe at like 20 years, like almost as old as I am. And like, they've said that, um, house fees used to not be like a thing. Like it wasn't even a thing. Wow. And now they exist and then now they're getting bigger. So I think that's even like a telling story of like how important it is to um, advocate for stripper rights and sex mm -hmm. worker rights and labor rights. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what now back to the question that I think I asked out of order, which is just like what, how it can, how can one be an ally in two sex workers, um, at, you know, I think a lot of people listening in aren't necessarily sex workers. How can one be an ally from the, from the outside? Do you? Yeah. Do you um, 
That's like, it's so difficult. But first, I think that just respecting and seeing us as holy, multidimensional humans, like, just seeing us for more than our, um, like, sexual services, like, seeing that that is part of us, and also acknowledging that, like, we are fully human and that we have, like, aspect, like, we are multifaceted and that we are deserving of respect, whatever uh, work that we do is really important. And, um, and then, yeah, I think that if you're a patron, like if you're a client, um, making sure that you are at all, like at all costs, just being the most like respectful that you can to our bodies and um, making sure that you know that we too have boundaries and respecting those boundaries and asking us what our boundaries are and honoring our boundaries. And that is like a huge part. Like if you are a client or a patron, you're going to the club or wherever you're getting your service, um, like that is a huge thing. And like the best clients are the ones who acknowledge that um, and yeah, so I, I love clients who um, respect boundaries. Um, and then as an ally, I think that just bringing more awareness to the issues and struggles that specifically the um, like survival sex workers face um, and not just like um, those who have a lot of privilege and things like that, like it's important for us to center um, sex workers who live in the margins um, and who are the most affected by horophobia and um, like, yeah, just seeing the intersection intersections of classism, racism, um, sexism, uh, homophobia and horophobia and like analyzing all the intersections of social justice and how they all really intersect with sex work and um, like the issues that strippers and sex workers face. Mm. Thank that's you. That's a for... start. There's a lot. Yeah, more that, that, <laughs> it doesn't, it's, it's not something that will happen overnight or, you know, just in liking someone's posts on Instagram. Right. But it is, I think, I'm grateful for you being here to share your personal story because I think a lot of people connect with it just in a personal human way, right? And that's the beginning of um, deconstructing this otherism and um, bringing awareness to something, a a topic that is very important to the liberation of all of us, like Mm -hmm. not just, um, you know, not pretending that these that these issues don't exist and that it's not layered and um, just putting blinders up and saying I'm just gonna dance on this pole anyway and like fuck the actual woman you know like that mentality is is if you're trying to be an aware human <laughs> that mentality has to die um, yeah we have to yeah we have to embrace the the mentality that our collective liberation is found um, in the trust that we as sex workers like know um, what is going to pave the way forward for our, our work. Like 
listening, like actively listening to, um, like the uncomfortable things that like make your insides feel kind of torn. Like that is the process. Like that, that is that process that like births us as new beings. And like, it's going to happen all the time. And like, it's, it's part of it. Like if, if we don't go through that process constantly, then like we need to like invite ourselves and try and push ourselves to like those points of like, just checking our own biases and stuff because um, even like as a sex worker, like there are those biases within me that I still have to undo um, because of all the conditioning and because of living in like a white supremacy culture that's very toxic and um, like so that we, we can live in a world that we really are free from all these types of discrimination and I think the reason why sex workers are very radical is because, like, we have to face the reality of all these intersections um, in the club, like, in the workplace, like, in the world. And I think that, like, really radicalizes sex workers really fast because, mm. like, we have to – we just see those those intersections, like, very um, immediately. And if we don't, like – then I would just invite us to like, um, yeah, listen, listen to sex workers and um, continue to educate ourselves on these issues. And yeah, I mean, I think that demystify demystifying stripping uh, has a lot to do with like um, demystifying like our sexuality, like making it so that our sexuality is seen as sacred, no matter how we express it, like expressing it in the workplace is just as sacred as like expressing it. Cause it's your own body. Like the sacredness is within you. Like it's not what's around you. It's like you are the sacred vessel. And mm. yeah. So I guess I'll just leave with that. I don't know how long we've been, been on, but I, I really enjoy this conversation. I feel like we could talk for a long time. Yeah, we, we definitely could. And, and I just want to, like, to underline a point you just made. Um, in those moments where we, it's those moments that we realize within ourselves that something doesn't feel sacred or, like, the, the, the moments where we see where something triggers us and says, like, oh, that's profane or that's, dirty it's those moments where you need to lean into it and look at those same intersections that you mentioned like what is at play here where are your own biases and um being willing to not yeah. be defensive about that but to actually open into that and say what is it that i like what are my blind spots here what is it that i am um conditioned to believe in this situation um and, you know, it's not easy. Like, I will be honest, I have been having moments of imposter syndrome around having this conversation, just like being, I don't know everything. You know, I'm Me not either. an expert <laughs> on this topic. Uh, we were admitting to not being experts on this topic, but it's in opening the conversation and being vulnerable that I feel I, I'm hoping that it's creating a space for, um, for just, um, vulnerable yeah real human interaction 
Yeah, yeah like I was listening, listening to a podcast called All My Relations, which is an amazing podcast. If you don't already know it, I would highly recommend. And uh, they have an episode about like, sexuality and sex and like non monogamy and how it's deeper than just like sexual relationships. And yeah, I think one of them is a, a like one of them is a writer that they had on that episode. And they were saying how writing is a pro or like even just learning is like you're consenting to learning in public. And by doing that, you're inviting like people to um, create conversation around those topics or themes that you're bringing up. And, and we learn the best when we are in community and when we can like, um, give feedback and learn from that feedback and know that like we're arriving at a new point of understanding and awareness, like in each moment. And we might look back at this and see that we miss things. And that's okay because like, we're going to keep learning and growing and like valuing people's feedback is like a huge part of learning because we only have our own perspective that we've lived from. And it's important that we learn from multiple perspectives, even if um, when they're not our own and even when it's uncomfortable and inconvenient and um, kind of like, uh, difficult and challenging and yeah so I'm excited to hear people's thoughts on our this conversation and I'm sure that there are things that we didn't touch on that are very important because of time limits and just where the conversation went so yeah just feel free to like comment on things that y'all uh, th thought about in this conversation and um, I really love this series and thank you so much for having me Thank you for being here. Yes. And yes, please hold me accountable. Like I Same. am all about accountability because uh, I think it's part of deconstructing the patriarchal, the, the white supremacist patriarchal um, way of upholding power. It's like power over. Yeah. And that's not what I mean when I say empowered. It's like power with and power to affect change, but not power over. Like I am not the guru who knows everything. I am just opening the conversation and holding the space. So yes. Yeah, definitely. Saying that. Is there any way that we can support you? Like how can we follow you and what's coming up yeah. for you that you want um, to? Yeah. So um, I, yeah, I can be found here. And then um, I have a fans page, um, a fans page for people who only want to subscribe. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and that would be great um I'm yeah I'm like trying to kind of get back into online work after being a dancer like it's difficult because I rather just be doing dancing at a club and you know it's it's difficult right now so I'll I post whatever shows I'm doing on my IG so you can see me there and yeah, um, if you are a stripper, like, we're having a stripper locker room next month again. I would love for you to come, Alyssa. Like, that would be great. Um, and we just chat. We have fun. We talk about our strip favorite stripper snacks, our favorite outfit shoes. Like, just, you know, we have fun. And then we talk about the serious stuff, too. And, um, yeah, you can find me, like, 
uh, on Twitter, Juicy Josie as well. And um, if you would like me to perform, just like DM me. Um, I do fire dancing, hula hooping, pole dance, um, like aerial. Like uh, I'm, I'm really excited about opportunities to perform. So if you have any, yeah, just let me know. Or if you want to have a conversation, like I'm pretty open book, and I would love to, um, yeah, love to connect with any of you. Um, if you're open to it, just DM me. So yeah, basically. Sweet. Thank you so much, Josie. This was really, um, a great conversation. I'm grateful for your perspective and your openness here. Damn. Josie dropped so much knowledge and wisdom, didn't she? I know you want to tip her and support the work she's doing as an artist and advocate. So head over to the show notes to find the link to her cash app. And also, here's some big Pussy Empowered news for you. I'm launching a membership program. It's called Pussy Empowered, The Movement, and it's an actual dream come true. If you desire to dismantle patriarchy and feel supported by a fun-loving community of fellow badasses, this is the space for you. You can learn more about this brand new offering by going to alyssaaparicio.com or visit the link in the show notes. Until next time.